you know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Airing the Addisons. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront of making disciples, of indoctrination and godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh Uh-oh. Good afternoon. This is Aaron the Addisons here on American Family Radio. Wednesdays with Will. I'm so glad to be with you today. Uh, the topic that we will be discussing today, I feel like it's a it's a great one uh, because the focus is on God. So whenever we're talking about God, look, that's a great that's a great topic. Uh, first, I just want to acknowledge that the Marriage Family Life Conference is in a a few weeks. I'm excited about that. Uh, if you want to join me and some others and fasting and praying on Thursdays, uh, please do so. Uh, We are looking for the Lord to really show up. We're looking for uh, ministry, real ministry to take place, uh, networking and fellowship. Uh, It's just going to be a a great time. We have over 500 children coming. And so we're looking forward to uh, teaching and equipping not only the parents, but the young people. And so it's going to be a great, great time. And so if you would keep that in prayer as we enter the the final stretch here, uh, the Marriage Family Life Conference, it's going to be awesome, awesome time. Another thing I wanted to say was yesterday we talked about uh, just the the things that are going on in the school system. And, uh, man, we talk a lot about that, Miki and I. Uh, We talk about the effects that it's having on our uh, country because of the children being indoctrinated with all these uh, wicked agendas and things that are out there to to really turn our children uh, against God and against authority. And one thing I, I don't want to leave out, because I w- have been reading uh, a book and rereading a book. Uh, the book is called uh, The Church in Babylon by Erwin Lutzer. And we had uh, Dr. Lutzer on the show before to talk about his latest book. But in this book, uh, he made a comment, and I thought, man, we got to make sure that we are found uh, praying as we contend for all these dif- different things, all these different issues that come up. As we contend, you know, vocally speaking out, uh, uh, doing all that we can uh, physically and in the natural, we need to make sure that at the same time that we are covering this stuff with prayer. Um, he made a comment, and I- I'll read the whole comment. And just uh, speak a little bit about it. Uh, He says, horrific suffering brought the Jews to a point of desperation. It took the destruction of their country to make them willing to turn from idols. God knows and we must agree that only desperate people pray. Only desperate people seek him. God has humbled us as a church exposing our weakness, compromises, and sins. And sometimes only devastation brings desperation. Then he says, unacknowledged pride and self-confidence birth prayerlessness. And as someone once said, prayerlessness is our declaration of independence. Lack of prayer signals 
lack of humility. No wonder we stand powerless against the onslaught of evil in media, in our schools, and even in our homes. We have to repent of many sins. Among them, perhaps first among them, is prayerlessness. And that's from Erwin Lutzer's book, The Church in Babylon. And I say that to say, once again, that we are fighting, we are contending. There are parents who are speaking up, and that's great. But those of us who know the Lord, make sure that we're praying as well. Because it's not only by our efforts that the job is going to get done. Yeah, the, the job is going to get done. We have to speak out. We have to be bold in what we're doing. But we also have to cover this stuff in prayer. So there should be prayer meetings happening concerning what's going on in the schools. There should be prayer meetings happening concerning what's going on in our country. We can't forget that the Lord is poised and he's willing. His, his, his ear is inclined to us and he hears the prayers of his people. And if we're not praying, we have, in essence, put out a declaration of independence. We believe that we can do it on our own. That's what we're saying. We might not say that uh, vocally, like with our, our mouths, but what we are declaring is that we don't need the Lord. We can do it on our own. So as we fight, as we march, let's make sure that we're praying at the same time, that we're asking God for his results, that he would intervene, that he would uh, get out the corrupt and the wicked people that don't need to be in those positions on school boards and things like that. As we go and do our part, a part of our part is praying. A lot of times, you know, and this is not said, but a lot of times the thought is that prayer is not really doing anything. Oh, I'm just, you know, uh, just pray. What do you mean just pray? Just pray. And, some, and this is what we're going to kind of get into today. We're not just praying. We're not speaking as we're speaking to the air, that there's no direction in our prayer. We're talking to the, the holy, the almighty, the all-powerful God, the God of the universe that created everything, that's able to change situations in an instance. The, the God that said, let there be, and it was. That's who we're praying to. See, we, we have to understand that this exercise of praying is not just something, some duty that we just undertake because, we, oh, I know I'm supposed to. No, it's, a, it's an honor to be able to approach the throne room of God and be able to make our petitions known. We have to understand what we're doing in the spiritual realm when we're talking about prayer. And so, again, as we are protesting, you know, what's going on in the schools, as we are uncovering the things that are happening, you know, as we are looking into uh, all the, the details and what's happening, you know, uh, regarding our kids. Let's make sure that we're storming the, the, the throne room and that we're and that, that we're in God's face and that we're crying out and that we're saying, Lord, will you change this situation? God, will you intervene? Will you do it? Because that's where the battle is won. Today, the topic that I had um, and it kind of bleeds over from God being a jealous God. But the topic today is the attributes of God should draw us to him and away from sin. The attributes of God should draw us to him and away from sin. Now, we have ex established that God is Elkanah, meaning a jealous God. 
We talked about how people get it wrong all the time. They, you know, I played the clip from Oprah, Oprah uh, Winfrey where she said, I can't believe that God is jealous of me. And we made the distinction. No, no, no. He's not jealous of you. He's jealous for you. If you're his. That there is a possession, an ownership, that he, that you are his, that he has called you by name. He said, you are mine. And so with that, there's a jealousy, a righteous jealousy, that there should be no other gods before him, that we shouldn't make any graven images, anything like that, or have things sitting on the, the throne of our hearts that's not the Lord. So we have to make sure that we don't lose the awe of God. You know, in our uh, worship service on uh, this past Sunday, uh, there was a point within the, the uh, service where the call was to really think on the awesomeness of God. That should be awe when we think about God. We have to recognize in the midst of living and all that life brings that we serve an awesome God. When we pray, it should stir us uh, and, and we should have awe that we're speaking to the only wise God, the ruler of heaven and earth, the one who dwells in inapproachable light, yet he is touched by the feelings of our infirmities. This high and lofty one, deserving of praise and honor, inclines his ear to us, God inclines his ear to us. What was only reserved from, for the priest, a place where we couldn't enter, is now accessible to the, to, uh, to, by the blood of Jesus, because of the blood of Jesus. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, it said, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And because of that, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Man, that's awesome that we have a high priest that identifies with the things that we go through, that he's a God who sit high, he looked low, but he's also he's also in tune with what we're going through because he has gone through it all yet without sin. And because of that, we can approach the throne boldly. See, this reality should cause us to cry out, as the psalmist said, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him? And the son of man that you care for him. What are we that the God of the universe, the creator of all things, that he even thinks about us? Man, this God that we serve, we should live in a state of awe. We should live in a state of awe. So the attributes that show, that show uh, God's strength should draw us to him but away from sin. Think about this. If we really focused on who God is, if we really focused on who God is, would it cause us to live differently? I mean, everyday life. 
will we talk to our brother and our sister like we talk to them? You know, will we think about the things that we think about? If we had the reality that of who God is on our minds, how would it cause us to be and, and live differently? In light of the awesomeness of God, understanding this, will we view sin differently? The very thing that separates us from God? If we understood the great God that we serve, if this was something that, that stayed on our minds and, and we were not distracted by the things of life and, and situations that come and go, but if we were able to be in a position where we understood the love of God and who God is, man, it would cause us to live differently. It would cause us to interact with our brothers and sisters differently. It will cause us to engage this world differently. As it stands, a lot of times we lose the awe that we have of God. We lose that because life tends to kind of rub up against us and we get distracted and we focus on this and on that when we have an awesome God that we serve. As I said before, and I'm just going to go through a a few scriptures, and and after the break, we'll come back. Think about this. Exodus chapter 34, verse 14. It says, For you shall not worship any other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. You shall not worship them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. Isaiah 43, 1. But now, thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 20. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace from Egypt, To be a people for his own possession as today. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. We are his. We are his possession. And that should bring out a sense of awe that the God of the universe loves us. This is Ernie Addison's here on American Family Radio. We'll be back right after this. This is Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio, Wednesdays with Will, and we're talking about the attributes of God that should draw us to him and away from sin. And before uh, the break, I was talking about the different uh, scriptures that talk about us being God's possession, that we ought to have no other gods before him, that he is jealous, 
Yeah, he's a jealous God. His name is jealous. He's Elkanah. Um, and I'll just pick up there. The fact that we have been purchased and redeemed by God through the blood of Jesus and have been rescued from the domain of darkness. Let's think about this. Sometimes we forget because we, we believe that we've been saved all our lives. We believe that we came on this earth born again. No, we were all a part of the domain of darkness. And now we are, we are made alive. We are new and we are in the beloved family of God. This should cause us to walk, think, talk, and live differently. Because we are his possession, he requires full allegiance. And he should. And he should. So my prayer, I pray today that our hearts as God's people would have a singular, pure, unadulterated love towards God. Now I want to think, think a moment of what happens in adoption. Adoption. That's a beautiful, beautiful word. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 through 8 says, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son then an heir through God. However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those uh, which by nature are no gods. This is a beautiful thing that happened. And this should bring out praise and worship and glory unto God. That we were outside of the family of God at one time. But he, through his great grace and love, that he extended toward us through the blood of Jesus Christ has adopted us. And now we are part of the family of God. At one time, we were not heirs. We had no part. But now we are in the family. Let's not forget this. See, adoption never was used in the Old Testament. The word adoption, you rarely, you didn't see it in the Old Testament. And you rarely see it uh, in the New Testament. Only a few places. But the term went beyond birth language to adoption language. There's a difference. The term went beyond birth language to adoption language. Although there is birth language as well in John 3, we know that Jesus talked to Nicodemus about being born again. Adoption is a legal term adopted out of conditions like slavery. It's a powerful thing. The legal transaction is confirmed and sealed so much that we have a new nature or a new spiritual DNA planted in our hearts to where we in earnest can cry out, Abba, Father. 
We are sons. We are sons. He has put his spirit within us and we can cry out, Abba, Father, which is a term of endearment. And this word Abba, Abba is, is unique as well. Uh, John Piper explained, explains it this way. He says, what, what is remarkable about these two texts uh, is the term Abba. It is an Aramaic word. Why then does Paul use it, transliterated in these two letters written in Greek? The answer is that it was the way Jesus spoke to his father. In spite of the fact that virtually no one in Jewish culture referred to God with this endearing word, Abba, it stunned the disciples. They held unto it as a precious remnant of the very voice of Jesus in the language he spoke. In Mark chapter 14, verse 36, Jesus is in Gethsemane and prays, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not I, yet not what I will, but what you will. Therefore, in adopting us, God give, gives us the very spirit of his son and grants us uh, to feel the affections of belonging to the very family of God. Abba is an Aramaic word, but Jesus used it in referring to the father. And you see, beyond that, is still being used. It reminds us of the very voice of Jesus in the language he spoke. It's a close relationship, Abba. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 through 17 says, for all, we, all, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. This, this is something that literally happens within us. We are no longer a part of that domain of darkness but we've been brought into the family of God and the Holy Spirit lives within us and enables us to cry out in all purity, Abba, Father. This is a family thing. We're heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. This realization, if we think on these things, it should bring us to a different way of walking and talking and thinking. As sons, we have his spirit. We have help through the Spirit because we are now sons. It's the confirmation of sonship. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 through 6. It says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. This is family language. You have been a, if you have come to know Christ, you have been adopted into the family of God. If you're listening and you don't know Christ, if you don't know Christ, if you have not asked forgiveness for your sins, you are still living in the domain of darkness. 
that is run and ruled by the devil. But God has uh, given us his very best. He has sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. If you desire eternal life today, you can pray and ask God to forgive you of your sins, that you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And today, today, you can enter into the family of God. Adoption, another thing about adoption, was it wasn't an afterthought in God's mind. A lot of times we think today, okay, well, I can't, we can't have kids. We can't have children. You know, that's an option that's for down the line. Oh, you know, so we should adopt. We see it as an alternate plan. We see it as an alternate plan. But the father's heart is adoption as a, as, is a first-rate plan, just as much as us having biological children. As a matter of fact, I talked to someone uh, a few years back who has adopted multiple children. And the legal ramifications of adopting children is even more binding than the, the legal ramifications that you have with your biological children. Like, it's, it's a big deal. I know a family right now who's going through the process of adopting. There's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of things that have to happen. This is, and, and the beautiful thing about it is that this family, these families, when you adopt someone, you're saying, I want you. I'm going to give you my name. <laughs> it's what the Lord has done for us. Not because we're good. Not because we come from some good pedigree or some great stock. No, because of his great grace and love towards us. He says, you, I want you. I want you. And in adoption, that happens. That, that child is giving a, given a whole new name, right? And the opportunity, if we're talking about a Christian home, to receive Jesus Christ. Man. It's an awesome thing. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3 says, We were by nature children of wrath. By nature. That's how we came here. It was out of a horrible situation that we were adopted. See, there's nobody that can say who's a follower of Jesus Christ that, Oh, I wasn't that bad before I was saved. You know, I grew up in church and you were still headed. For destruction, you were by nature a child of wrath. So it was it was out of a horrible situation, even if you think you were good, that you were adopted by God. God's name is Elkanah, because through adoption we belong to Him. We're His. That's one attribute. He's Elkanah. He's a jealous God, but also God is. El Roy, El Roy, the God who sees. And because God is El Roy, this realization should cause us to desire our lives and our actions to line up with his word. Now imagine if we understood or if we realized throughout our day that God is the God who sees. Hmm. There's a lot of things that we would adjust on our end if we understood that not only in head knowledge but in our heart that God is the God who sees and the beautiful thing about that 
is God is not only the God who sees when we mess up. God is the God who sees when we are in distress, when we're hurting, when life has caved in on us. He sees us. I'm reminded of, of Hagar in a, in a book of Genesis. And you guys know the story. Sarai was Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. After Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. He went into Hagar and she conceived. And when, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarai said to Abram, may the, uh, may the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms. But when she saw that, that, that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is, your, is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. And the angel of the Lord said to her further, behold, you are with child and you will bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live to the east of all his brothers. Verse 13 in chapter 16 of Genesis. It says, then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees. For she said, have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Therefore, the well was called Belaroi. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. Hagar declared that God in her distress was the God who sees. Like you may be listening and your world is falling apart. You may be listening and trouble may be on every hand. I want you to take confidence that, that you serve, if you are a Christ follower, the God who sees. When nobody else sees you, when it seems like you're, you, you are off everyone's radar, God sees you and he's ready and willing to deliver you. The God who sees, El Roy. This is Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio. We'll be back right after this.
instance, I got you made an answer yelling from us on the talus that it is. Can you hear him say it's his? Uh-huh. He said it's his. There ain't a thing that's in existence. I got you made it is and yelling from a stone to tell us that it's it. Can you hear him say it's yeah. it? No bosses, no shared seats, no losses. Prepare to meet his greatness. He's greatest creator. He's who you're This is Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio. Wednesdays with Will, and we're talking about the attributes of God, how they should draw us to him and away from sin. We talked about and we did an overview of um, looking back at, at God being Elkanah, the God who is a jealous God. His name is Jealous. And we, uh, before the break, we were looking at God being El Roi, the God who sees. Imagine if we lived our lives in light of God being El Roi, that his name and attribute is that he is not like false idols or false gods, that, that we read about in the scripture and men served in biblical times and men serve today. They couldn't see, they couldn't hear, but we serve the God who sees. And again, if you are in the darkest hour right now, know that you can look up. God sees you just as he saw Hagar, just as he saw Hagar when she was outcast. He's the God who sees. Consider this Psalm chapter 115. It says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. Why should the nations say, where now is their God? But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths but they cannot speak. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become, become like them. Everyone who trusts in them. But it is written of our God in Psalm chapter 139, verse 7 through 12, it says, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is, is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. We serve the God who sees. There's no darkness that can cover the eyes of God. He sees. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place. What if we live like this? The eyes of the Lord are in every place. Watching the evil and the good. Man, I, if we had this realization, we would shape up quickly. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He is the God who sees. And like I said before, that's 
he sees the things that we are doing wrong, but he also sees the need that we have. He also sees us in the valley. He also sees us when, when we do, do well. He sees both. He's the God who sees, period. We serve the God who sees us. And when we are going through rough times, he sees us. When we are not faithful, he sees us. When we are pleasing to him, he sees us. He is attentive. El Roy, the God that sees. The God that sees. God is also omnipresent. Omnipresent. This means that God is present everywhere. Now, what if we lived our lives in light of God's omnipresence? What if we walked as we believed that God was everywhere? The reality that God is everywhere. There is no hiding from his gaze. When we think uh, we are hidden because we've eluded man, see, we can fool man. <laughs> when we think we've eluded man, we are not hidden from the eyes of God. You know, brother or sister can lie to me all day, and I've had it happen. I've had it happen. But God can't be lied to because he's everywhere. He sees. He sees. He sees, and he's the one to, 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 to which you have to do. Like, he's the one in which you have to answer. It's God. It's not man. Psalm chapter 1, uh, 13, verse 4. The Lord is high above all nations. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord, our God? Who is enthroned on high? who humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth. He's everywhere. He's everywhere. Psalm chapter 139, verse 7. And I read this earlier, part of it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. He's everywhere, omnipresent. Do we live like that? Do we live as if we know that God is everywhere? Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3, read this one earlier as well. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. He's everywhere. He's in the high and lifted up places and he's down low with the contrite of heart. Oh, man, that should cause you to praise God right there, that you know that this God, he, the God that you serve, even if you're considered to be the lowly, he's present. He's present for you right now. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 23 and 24 says, Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do, so I do not see him? <laughs> Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? Oh, man. 
if we understood the God that we serve, that he's ever present, that he sees everything. We should take great comfort in the fact that God that we serve is real God. He sees. He's not a mute, deaf, blind, dumb God, but he sees and he's present in the affairs of men. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, and there is no creature hidden. I read this one before, from his sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. Let's live as if we believe this. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. All-powerful. We know this to be true in head knowledge. But what if we lived in light of God's omnipotence? Why are we so defeated? Why don't we have victory when we serve the all-powerful God? Psalm chapter 115, verse 3, but our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Whatever he, he wants to do, that's what our God does. Isaiah 55, 11, so will my word be which go forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. When, what God says, it's going to happen. It's done. It's a done deal. It's a done deal. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17. It says, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power. And by your outstretched arm, nothing is too difficult for you. Look, this is the God we serve. This is the God we serve. In God, we are not victims. We are victorious through what Jesus Christ has accomplished on the cross and raising and rising again. We are not victims. In this life, if we cling on to the God that we serve, there's no room for defeat. There's no room for being a victim. We are victorious, not because of our strength, not because of who we are, but we are victorious because of God, the God that we serve. And lastly, God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. What if we really understood at a heart level that our God knows all? Will we endeavor to live differently? It goes back to the point that I was making before. Sometimes we think we're getting over. Man, it, when I think about it, it's like, do we really believe we have secret sin? Is that even possible? Yeah, it's secret because we're holding the secret from other people. But there's no secret sin. God sees that. He knows. He's all-knowing. He's all-knowing. Look, Christian, ask, let's ask the Lord to help us to walk uprightly. We're not, we're not getting over on God. Di living double lives and all this stuff, we're not getting over on God. We have to learn and we have to ask the Lord to help us to live in the reality of who he is. That's my prayer. I pray it in the morning. Lord, thank you for waking me up to see a new day. Help me to live today in light of you being Elkanah. Help me to live 
today in light of you being Elroy. Help me to live today in light of your omnipotence, your omniscience. Help me to live today knowing that you are present wherever I go. I ask the Lord for that in the mornings. I ask him, do I uh, um, live out the day perfectly? No, because we're human and we forget. But, oh, man, I'm asking the Lord to help me to remember who he is, that I can walk in holiness, that I can walk uprightly, that I can please him. This should be our prayer, because if, if we could get this at a heart level, not only in head knowledge, because we know a lot in head knowledge, but if we can understand this at a heart level, man, we would look totally different. Psalm chapter 147, verse 5 says, Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. His understanding is infinite. Man, sometimes I think we don't know who we're dealing with here. God's understanding is infinite. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joint and marrow, and able to judge, listen to this, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. God sees it all. He's all-knowing. He's able to judge not only the thoughts, but the intentions behind those thoughts. He can judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Nobody else can do that. The all-knowing God, the all-knowing omniscient God is the one. 1 John chapter 3, verse 20. In whatever our hearts condemn us, uh, for God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. God knows all things. Look, in light of the attributes of God, in light of who he is, in light of him being a jealous God and we being his possession, in light of him being the God who sees, El Roy, that when we're in our darkest time, when we are in our deepest distress, God sees us. When we're not doing right, he sees us. In light of his omnipresence, in light of his omniscience, in light of him being all-powerful, his omnipotence, in light of all of that, how should we live as those who follow him? Man, let this marinate. Let this sink into your hearts. Let this sink into your minds that God would help us to be the people that he's called for us to be. That we can walk day and in and day out with the realization that we serve an all-powerful God and that we're not hiding anything from him, but that he sees all. He knows all. He's all-powerful. This has been Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio. Wednesdays with Will. I appreciate this time. Go with God. <laughs>